Hi, I'm Beth. And I'm Andrea. We are bringing you the Real Moms Real Life Podcast, your guide to self-empowerment and taking on each day as your best self. This is episode number 21. Today we have a special guest joining us who we want to save time for, so we are going to skip our usual segments and get right into it. If you would like to submit a question, head on over to realmomsreallife.com. Don't forget, all the resources on this podcast are meant for information purposes only and not to be confused for medical advice or treatment. Hey, Andrea, anything to report before we get to our guest? I feel like we should just get right to our guest because I have so many questions for her. (laughs) Sounds good. So let me tell you a little bit about our guest today. We have on Dr. Erin Weissman. She is a family medicine trained osteopathic physician and a fierce advocate for better health and wellness, particularly among healthcare providers and working moms. She lives and practices in rural southwestern Indiana, loves her roles as a farmer's wife, athlete, and mother of three littles ages six, four, and two. Early in her medical career, Dr. Aaron realized that she was already burnt out from medicine. By rising through this very difficult situation, she has come to recognize the passion of her heart, which is motivating and inspiring others. She focuses her work around like-minded women to know that they are never alone in burnout and motherhood and that help is available for those who ask. She lectures, video blogs, and provides personal coaching via Truth Prescriptions. She can be reached on Facebook, LinkedIn, or Instagram and has a new program coming out this summer called Dr. Me First. All right, off to you guys. Hey, Erin, how are you? We're so excited to have you on here. Oh my God, guys, this is phenomenal. I am so excited that we are actually doing this, and um, I just can't wait for all your questions. Yes, I have a bunch, but yes, feel free to go off and tell us what's important as well. But I first do want to ask you, um, just because as... um, Beth mentioned that you're a DO and not an MD. So I think some people don't know the difference between that. So I want to ask you to cover the difference and what made you choose a DO path versus MD? Absolutely. Okay. So just like there's so many paths in life that you can get to so many destinations, same thing for being a medical physician. And When I was in college and I knew I wanted to do something in the healthcare field, um, I started doing a bunch of shadowing and I was following a couple doctors around and instead of MD behind their name, they had DO and I was like, wait, are these real doctors? And (laughs) they actually are. And the other thing that I stopped when I was shadowing with these doctors is because I'm like, man, they really like, they talk to their patients, they smile they, they seem truly interested in the people they were taking care of rather just kind of like churning and burning and getting them through the office. So I started investigating a little bit more like what is this osteopathic medicine thing and is it for me? And the more I dug into it, the more I realized that osteopathic medicine is based on um, the mind-body-spirit connection. And throughout medical training, that is reinforced over and over and over again. So DOs do the exact kind of medical training with anatomy, physiology, pharmacology, everything like that, that a um, MD or allopathic physician would do. But there's a special emphasis put on um, touching your patient, um, not just with physical exam, but also doing what we call called osteopathic manipulation, which is, um, for people who don't know, to basic, like, bring it down to basic levels. It is like chiropractic work, acupuncture, 
physical therapy, just a whole bunch of different models that we kind of go off of each other. And I know, Andrea, you and I have had some conversations about where there's some overlap in our fields. Um, and I really like that. I'm, I'm a very hands-on person to start with, so I knew that gelled well. And then when I started doing interviews for medical school, my particular medical school that I picked was Kansas City University of Medicine and Biosciences out in Kansas City, Missouri. I just went there, and instead of the other interviews that I've been at where they were like, okay, this is going to be really hard, and we're probably going to weed you out, when I went to KCUMB, they were like, we want you. That's why we brought you here, and we are going to get you through, and we are going to make you the best doctor that you can be. And I was like, boom, sold. This is where I want to be. Uh, I didn't go into any more interviews. I wrote them my entry check um, that next week, and I started medical school a couple months later. And um, and so that's the difference between me between what I see between MD and DO. Now I have some great MD colleagues who do kind of follow more of an osteopathic mindset, but just I love love the philosophy and the schooling behind what I was going to get um, being trained as a DO. Um, and so that's why I latched on to it. Oh, I love that so much. And I just learned a lot because I knew there was a difference. And I always like seek out DOs, but I don't think I really knew exactly why. And I love the concept that you actually touch your patients because it's amazing when I get referrals from doctors. I'm sure Beth has the same experience where it's like, oh, wow, you actually touched my shoulder that hurt. No doctor ever even looked at it. And I'm like, what are they even doing? Or it's doing? like, oh, they took an x-ray and it's like, yeah. did they do range of motion no. kind of thing? Oh my God. Yeah, it's amazing. And I mean, it's one of those things that I try to carry through um, throughout my whole you know, pers perspective of life. Um, and so how I practice medicine, and you'll probably hear this as I answer questions that you have for me, is I kind of range in the middle. I definitely go back to evidence-based medicine, what current research is showing, what are the current guidelines, but then I'm also too, I'm able to embrace maybe some alternative views and at least have conversations with people and be open to say, okay, let's talk about this more. And I think that's another reason um, why I really love life coaching because it really does fit so nicely into my medical practice because you know what, when somebody shows up in their my office or my, in the emergency room, it's not about me. It's about them. And sometimes, you know, we're trying to find answers for people, but sometimes there's just no answers. And it's kind of the same thing in life coaching. Like, it's about them, and it's about finding their answers. And that's why I really have branched out um, with truth prescriptions um, and why I love marrying those two sides of my life. Yeah, that's amazing. Um, and I think I'm glad you brought up like evidence-based medicine because I feel like that term gets really thrown around. I know it does it in the physical therapy world. And it's like, oh, if you're not 100% doing things that are 100% evidence-based, you know, there's certain people within the field that kind of look down on you or like, or like Psh, this physical therapist did this, that's, you know, a load of crock. But really when it comes down to it, I mean, I, I'm sure there's more evidence in the uh, doctor, like doctor field than physical therapy, but there's not that many things that are 100% evidence-based. So if we, like, if I only did things that were evidence-based, I'd be limited to, like, two things. And then Absolutely. it's like, well, what do, you, what do you want me to do? Sorry, there's no evidence. I got nothing. So, so there's yeah. off that. In medicine, you never say always and you never say never. 
Because there's always that like 0.0% that something is going to happen. And I always remind people too, this is the practice of medicine. This is not the exact science of medicine. And sometimes, yes, there's algorithms that we follow because we know it's best practices for patients. But sometimes you go a little bit off the cuff because of a physical exam and because you've done individual workup for that person. So as we get into more questions talking about lab testing, I'm going to come back to that and say, you know, there's no one-shot answer, and it's going to be really important that you sit down with a trusted medical provider and talk um, through this. Um, and the other thing, too, is I always encourage people is that uh, as we talk more, one of my beefs um, in healthcare right now is people feel like they can just show up in healthcare and treat it like McDonald's. Like they can just come in and say, I want X, Y, Z. And they don't even appreciate my opinion as a physician, my expertise of my years of practice, and they don't even want to hear my point of view. And I think that's where alternative medicine gets a little bit of a rub because they kind of come in with a chip on the shoulder saying, I researched this on the internet and I want this instead of being open. And so a lot of times when I talk to people, the first thing is, is let's talk about this before we make decisions. And so you can understand my point of view and I can understand your point of view. Um, because as a physician, just yesterday when I was working, I really felt like someone was treating me as a waitress. They wanted this and I needed to deliver it. And I'm being a straight up person. I say, well, that's nice. However, that is not my medical opinion. Now we live in America and you can do whatever the hell you want, but that's going to be against medical advice. Yes, I love that. And I, I think, you know, we've talked enough to know that I also take that approach when people are trying to come to me and be like, well, why can't you just fix me? And I'm like, I mean, I'm trying. And it's like, if you're going to sit there and look, be looking down at your iPad, I just had this conversation with someone yesterday for, you know, eight hours a day, because that's all you do and not move, you know, all day long and then expect to come to physical therapy 30 minutes twice per week and be magically fixed. Uh uh, We got a problem. So yeah, absolutely. Well, I do want to get into lab testing because I wanted to take advantage of asking you some questions about that because I feel like it's something that people really, really latch onto and just have a lot of questions about in general. And people tend to look at as like the ultimate, like it's going to cure all my answers if I get lab testing. So first, let's start with like just the general overview. Do you think there is any lab testing that you know, you almost want everybody to get like, I, I think questions or ones that I go to, which obviously I can't order lab testing is like a vitamin D test or like A1C, something like that. But beyond that, I'm not really sure if there's any that everybody should be getting. So I'd love to hear. Okay. Now, right now, like per the guidelines, say that you like show up to your doctor's office and you're getting like a wellness exam. Like you, you're just going in, you're not having any problems. You're just showing up like, Hey, am I well? Is everything good and kosher? You need to talk with your doctor about your certain risk factors and, um, your past medical history, your family's past medical history to see if there's any red flags for things that you need to be tested for. Like say that you were diabetic in your pregnancy. Well, that is going to increase your risk later on in life to develop type two diabetes. So that is something that you potentially 
actually need to be monitored um, with your doctor on. Um, say that you've got a really strong history of like cholesterol issues. Your parents both have had super high ones or, you know, some other like family type issue. Again, those would be screening tests that you would need to do. You've got to remember too, in our current healthcare field, um, that insurances have really buckled down on what they want to pay for. And so if you are getting screening lab work, um, there's not really much that they recover. Now, on the flip side, if you are having problems, okay, you first need to remember this is no longer a wellness exam because you're not there to be well. You are there for a problem-focused exam. A lot of people get those confused because they say, oh, my insurance will cover a once-a-year wellness exam, but you're coming in with problems. Me, as your doctor, if I code that as a well exam and you have a problem, I just um, did insurance fraud. Um, and I have a really big issue with that as a physician because personally, I don't want to be fraudulent to anyone, but I want to respect my patient. And so a lot of times you just have to know if you have a problem, then it's going to be a problem focused visit. Now with that, there may be particular lab work that you need to, um, get checked, um, you know, one common thing that um, as a family physician, I have, um, particularly in my female population, like people will come in and they'll talk about like feeling depressed or feeling anxious and they'll give me all the symptoms with that. And one of the first thing I'll say is, okay, let's rule out any um, medical problems that could be causing this. And that would be getting like just general blood work like you're talking. Now, remember, this is not for the person who life is great, nothing is going on. This is for a problem focused. So, you know, getting like blood counts, getting like a metabolic panel, um, you know, those are kind of some of the first ones. You can check a thyroid. And I know that was one of your questions, Andrea, was talk a little bit about thyroid testing because that's kind of like a hot biz right now. So I'm going to springboard off of that. So we need to talk physiology of your thyroid. So your thyroid gland sits at the base of your neck. It's actually controlled um, by a small little gland in your brain. Um, that gland in your brain secretes TSH, okay? TSH then wanders around your body, gets to your thyroid, and stimulates your thyroid to generate T3 and T4. T4, once it's released out into your body, is then broken down into other byproducts, you know, T3, T7, all that good stuff. Um, but it's really, really complex. And that's the first thing people need to understand with lab work. Just because you get a one type of lab work, that does typically does not tell anything. It's like taking a picture on your cell phone. It's just a blurb right there. And even that picture on your cell phone can be modified and can be changed. So there may be other things happening in your body that changes that one spot in time with your lab work. So thyroid, I would get a lot of pressure from people to be like, I want everything tested on my thyroid. And I'm like, okay, first of all, um, it's not necessary, and here's why. And secondly, you're probably going to have to pay for it, so just know that ahead of time so you don't call my office and bitch out my nurse when you get a bill. And third, I want to do what's best in your interest, so let's talk it through. So you, when you're having suspected thyroid issues, you do need a TSH checked because that is the most consistent hormone that is going to tell you thyroid function because it is that first release thyroid that first release hormone from your brain 
Your T4 levels are going to be modified after that um, because, again, you're talking about the metabolism within your body. Um, and the T3 is actually a less reliable level than even the T4. So I know people are all about getting T3 and T7, um, but statistically, those are going to be the least reliable numbers. So when people are like, well, my T3 was messed up, and I'm like, okay. Let's back this up a little bit. That is the least reliable one. So think about like walking in the woods and you like see uh, a, a step on the ground. Well, then you back up and then you see like some more tracings and then you back up and you're like, oh, there's the animal. So TSH is the animal. The second amount of tracing is your T4 and then the later downstream is your T3. So if you are already on thyroid medicine, that T3 really tells you absolutely nothing at that point because um, thyroid medicine, so levothyroxine is the generic name, um, Synthroids is the branded name. Once you are taking that supplemental thyroid hormone, which that's what it is, it's a purified form of the thyroid hormone, then your thyroid you're trying to find a balance with it, but if your balance at all is off, your thyroid is is not, is going to have abnormal levels because you're supplementing that. You're putting in thyroid. So that's when you really have to go back to that TSH number because that's the ultimate stop on, okay, are we over-treating with the medicine? Are we under-treating with the medicine? Or are we in a good range right now? So that's my spiel on thyroid. Getting back to um, what lab works everybody needs, I don't think there's a hot and fast that I can go back on that. I mean, I think it really goes back to what are your risk factors? What's your family history? What's going on with you right now? Yeah, that's super, super helpful. That was a lot of information. I love that. Thank you. Um, question. So, like, let's say someone comes back and they do have an abnormal TSH level. Mm -hmm. And now we're talking about a person who's they're functioning in life. They're just like not where they want to be in life. They know some mm -hmm. things are wrong. So we're not talking about someone who like is just almost non-functional, like can't work, can't do their right. like basic, um, you know, activities of daily life. So would your go-to be to like, and I, I know this depends. I already know the, your, your answer, but it's like, would you be more inclined to change diet and lifestyle first or like give medication first and supplement thyroid hormone. I think it again super depends on the person. Like how long has this been going on for? What? Are, how is severe is their symptoms? And then what are they kind of wanting to do? Nobody's gonna die of thyroid disorders um, in a pretty mild or moderate stage. Now there are some things um, when your thyroid becomes hyperactive that can cause some really significant medical issues, and those would need to be addressed ASAP. But for the typical patient population here in the U.S. This is not something that's like emergent. Also being said, once you start treatment for thyroid, this is something that's not going to like clear up in a week. Like you're talking about several months of modification, um, both with medicines um, and also both with your life before you're going to see a significant difference. Um, 
you have to find kind of what's going on with the thyroid. You know, is this, um, like you mentioned, is this a lifestyle issue? Is this a autoimmune issue? For instance, um, one big thyroid condition that hits a lot of women is um, you can actually start producing antibodies against your thyroid. So it's like your body versus your body. Um, it's pretty common with pregnancy or postpartum. Um, so it's something to watch with that. And um, that would be additional testing. And if that is the issue, um, that's usually when I'm referring people on to specialists, which a um, hormonal specialist is going to be an endocrinologist. And they are usually phenomenal at um, managing these type of disorders because you're going beyond just like run of the mill, like I'm tired type things. This is actually true, like medical um, pathology with that. So, if you find it, it's not something that you're like, oh, my God, you're going to die tomorrow. You have to start medicine now. But it's one of those two. If you do start medicine, you have to be realistic and know, OK, this is probably going to take a couple dose changes. This is going to take repeated lab work about every six to nine weeks. Um, and this is this is going to take a little while. So setting up that expectation. But generally, though, once um, people start treatment, either doing medication or modifying what's going on in their life or finding the underlying cause, um, generally they, they can feel better within several months, maybe even a year if it's autoimmune type stuff. Okay. That's helpful. Um, and so like Beth and I, as nutritional therapists, we obviously don't diagnose anybody, um, and we don't treat medical conditions. We leave that to you guys. Mm -hmm. Um, so, but I do get a lot of people that come to me and I don't know, like where I'm curious to hear your answer is, I don't know if it's my bias because of the people who've come to me, but mm -hmm. I'll definitely get people who have been to, you know, a functional medicine practitioner, been to naturopaths, whomever, and they've gotten like all this crazy lab testing. Um, they've gotten like every single hormone panel run and they kind of got that done on their first visit. And then they were eating, you know, a typical American diet, you know, lifestyle absolutely needed to be changed. And so then they come to me and they're like, nothing really has helped. I got all these lab testing. I know exactly what's wrong with me. Like fix me, give me the supplements. And I find that these people, and again, I'm putting you know people in a box, obviously everybody's different, tend to almost be more resistant to changing their diet because they're like, well, something's medically wrong with me. It doesn't have anything to do with my diet. Yeah, they and, married their diagnosis. Yes. And so for me, I've really kind of started to be, and again, most people I see, I am making sure they've had a recent physical wellness exam. Like I'm making sure they're medically cleared. Okay, so let's right. get that. <laughs> um, said first, but I'm, you know, when, when people ask me about lab testing, I'm like, I don't see any point of doing lab testing at first until we've kind of cleared the waters. It's like, let's get, you know, sugar out of your diet. Let's getting you eating, eating like vegetables and whole real foods first. And then if uh, symptoms are, are persisting, things aren't changing. Like, I mean, I'd want to see changes within like a month or two towards the positive direction then let's discuss, okay, going back to your physician and maybe getting additional lab testing. Um, what's your take on getting lab testing right away for someone who, who's, who is, let's say they're, they've already, they've committed that they will make a nutrition change. They're like, yes, I'm going to work with a nutritional therapist and I'm going to change my nutrition. Would you, we're, yeah. Uh -huh. We're probably talking about somebody who's like 
having just generalized symptoms. It's not like they've had yeah. like like 75 pound weight loss or that they're like blood pressure super. We're talking about a stable patient who just feels yeah. like yuck, right? It's like they're like fatigued, you know, maybe they have like some digestive issues, their period's a little wonky, you know, it's not completely consistent. Maybe they have some PMS, some cramps, you know, they're just like, they're like, I know I can feel better than this on okay. a daily basis. Yeah. So yeah, definitely with um, that type of person, um, I yeah, I'm gonna be picking apart their life and what's going on with them. What is their sleep patterns? Um, uh, because I am big on rest. There are so many new studies coming out that God, sleep is so restorative. I Man, it's better than than medication on most cases. And we as Americans are terrible about sleep environments. Oh my God, we'll have to do another talk on sleep. But that's one of the big ones I start with because of how poor everybody um, does with their sleep. Then next I'm talking about like, what's going on in your life? Are you in the middle of divorce? Um, Did your kid just get diagnosed with like autism? I mean, is there some crazy stress going on? Because I know that we all know that we're stressed out, but I don't think we ever like see the forest um, through the trees and step back and say, oh my God, how much am I shouldering? And when I do that with people, most of the time they're like, wow, yeah, I am. I am doing a lot. So those are the first two, two big ones before, yes, before I'm jumping into testing and way before I am even going into um, medications. You know, I'm going to ask my patients straight up, are you depressed? I mean, are you having suicidal thoughts? Um, are you going to hurt or kill anybody? Do you feel that way? Because, you know, I, I'm a big one, too, with mental health. Um, having been burned out and having been to the bottom most part of the pit, uh, you know, depression and um, burnout are kind of in the same bucket right now. We haven't figured out how to kind of tease them apart. You do feel horrible when your mental health state is is bad. And there there may or may not be something medically wrong, but your mental state is just as important as your physical, your emotional, and then even your sexual health. I mean, that's super important too. And I know, hopefully my grandma don't listen to this, but sex is important in our lives, people. And we need to be talking about it more with ourselves and also with our kids too. I think it would do a world of good. Again, another segment we can talk, talk about later. You guys take post-it notes. But those are what I'm talking about with people first. Um, and then I'll say, okay, we're going to do a close follow-up. I'm going to see you back in like a week or two. You look through this, you talk with your close friends, you talk with your spouse, you talk with your mom, you talk with whoever you need to, to kind of help sort this out. Cause I'm just your doctor. Um, and I love you and I want to take care of you, but I don't have five hours to sit with you unless you want to do life coaching and then I will do it. But, um, get with them and then come back and tell me what's going on. And Usually when they come back, some people are doing better because they've self-identified and some are not. And if they're not, then we start talking about more like red flag symptoms. Like I mentioned, like severe weight loss or maybe their vital signs are wrong. Um, and then that's when that's when we're, I'm getting some lab work. And again, basic stuff. I'm not going to jump in huge and be ordering like crazy, um, super specific testing at that point because – you got to kind of see what is going on before you start really trying to dive in deep. Because if you start trying to get too many specific lab tests, it just gets confusing. And if you're not well trained in it or you're not comfortable with it, a lot of doctors will be like, yeah, this is wrong with you. Okay, we'll see you later. 
instead of backing up and saying, okay, let's do this stepwise in progression. Because again, even though you feel terrible and I feel bad for you for that, this is not something that you're going to die from. I want to add something um, because I saw a functional medicine practitioner while I was working on some fertility stuff and he did do like this huge panel. I did stool testing, a ton of blood work, and we found stuff in there and I think it really helped to guide some of what we're doing. But I was starting to feel better and then we redid blood work and he was like, well, I'd still like to see these numbers. I'm like, but I'm feeling good. Like, I don't really care that, you know, you still want to tweak those numbers a little bit more because I'm really happy with where I am and I don't want to get brought down with the way the numbers are. So I love that. Yeah, because that's when you got to remember, we take care of people. We don't take care of numbers. And the numbers are important in um, helping us guide our treatment and our judgment. But ultimately, when you're only about the numbers, again, you're losing the forest through the trees. Definitely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, switching gears a little bit on a different type of testing. What do you think about food sensitivity testing? All right. Another hot topic. Mm-hmm. I hope I don't get too blasted on this. Okay. So there is a difference between like food intolerance versus food allergy. So we need to talk like, like that. So food allergy, that's like the get the EpiPen, my lips are swelling, my throat is swelling, I can't breathe, I'm having um, widespread hives, I feel like I'm going to like itch my palms and my eyeballs out of my body. Like, you know, a full-blown, huge um, allergic reaction, which is a medical emergency, Versus uh, food intolerance, which is one when you take in certain substances and you have um, other types of symptoms. Maybe it's vomiting. Maybe it's uh, what I call the bubble guts, you know, that rumbly and the tumbly type thing. Maybe it's diarrhea that you're having consistently with certain types of foods. So food allergies um, are definitely a medical issue that need to be worked up um, appropriately. Um, that can be done typically with a medical professional called an allergist and immunologist because it, it is a immune system reaction. You know, this is really common with kids who like can't have eggs or peanuts or tree nuts. Um, you know, there are some confirmed true milk allergies in kids too um, that have to be really um, careful about. And actually, you have to have symptoms plus positive testing. And the most, you know, precise positive testing is when they do the skin pricks, either on arms or on your back, because that you can physically see that using that pure allergen, what the reaction is on that person or that child. Um, And then the other thing along with the true food allergies, you've got to have, like I said, symptoms, confirmation of testing, but then you also have have to have resolution of solutions once the allergen is removed. So that's like taking out peanuts from kids' diets, then they no longer have those symptoms. Okay, it really is a a food allergy to peanuts. Now, if you take it out and they still have it, then I don't think you're right there at the confirmed diagnosis. Okay, so like food intolerances then, that's when we're getting into um, 
like I said, more of kind of the gray zone. Like you're just not handling things well. Um, I really think, and I don't have any medical literature to back this up. This is just kind of me. But I really think it's really important of your family of origin and how you grew up. For instance, one of my best friends, um, she's from, she's first generation um, child from Mexico. And her family eats the spiciest shit. Oh my God, I tried to go to a family dinner with her one time. I about died. I just, I couldn't handle it. It was awful. And, but her, it's no big thing because since she was like an infant, these are the foods that she was consuming. So her body, um, be it that it built up a tolerance or it's just her family of origin or something with her genetics, she could handle it. Whereas like my German background, girl, you give me some sausages and sauerkraut and I could eat that by the gallons. But I know other people, they cannot handle, um, you know, fermented type foods like that. So I think that's really important um, too, as you're going back, um, maybe making lifestyle changes or maybe you change regions of the country or in the world and you're having some issues. You need to think back like hey maybe your body is not used to certain types of spices certain types of food preparations before you just jump on the hey I've got gluten intolerance bandwagon and it is a bandwagon because I mean medical literature tells us that there's only just like four to six percent of the population who has true gluten intolerance um And again, another topic we can talk about, I love it when I go to the grocery store and it says like gluten-free on like chicken because chicken never had any gluten in it. Just so you know, we can talk about that some other time, but people are using this now, I think, to market rather than to be truly um, scientific and medical. So um, celiac disease is the true name for... um, Um, gluten issues it is and the the medical terminology it is tissue transglutin aminase that is the the protein molecule that your body's having trouble processing it's at the level of your villi and your intestines and actually what happens is it because of how your body processes it, it cuts down um, the absorptive prop- properties of those villi, and then things just start shooting through your intestines. What you need to have to be properly tested for this, you cannot eliminate gluten before you go for testing. You have to stay on your current diet when you go for testing. Because I have a lot of people say, well, I'm, I'm gluten intolerant. And I'm like, how do you know? And they're like, well, I just start eating gluten-free and I feel a lot better. And I'm like, well, we, you, we can't confirm that because you have to be on the diet when, which you were having symptoms to get testing. And so what we do is we test the specific IgA and that's an immunoglobulin, um, the IgA towards that TTA. And um, we also then get a total count of what your uh, body's immunoglobulins are. And then you need an intestinal biopsy actually physically looking at those little villi in your intestines to say, are they being broken down? Do they physically look like there is problems down there? With those two tests, then I will confirm with people, yes, you have um, celiac disease and this is what you need to follow. Now, again, there's a lot of the population who have not gone through with this. They marry that diagnosis. And once you get married, it's pretty hard to get divorced from it. And I think that's how people treat their medical um, conditions. But sometimes you need to break up when it's not true, just like in a marriage. Sometimes you got to let things go when it's abusive and not um, life bringing. So 
people who are at risk for celiac are if you have a first degree relative, which means um, mother, father, sister, brother, those are your first degrees who have been diagnosed, or you have an autoimmune disorder like type 1 diabetes, you have Crohn's, you have confirmed Crohn's because that's another topic, you have Downs, Turner's, if you have an IgA um, nephropathy, which is a kidney issue or an IgA or immuno issue in general, you're more predisposed and you do need to be tested for this. Now, the general population, a lot of people will come in and they will want to, um, they'll want this testing. And unless I've got confirmed weight loss and I've got confirmed um, issues while on the diet, most of the time I'll say, I don't really think we need to do this. But again, it's a conversation. Once we have it, if the lab work initially is normal, then I'm not going to put somebody through an intestinal biopsy. I'm sorry. That's just going a little overboard uh, because we don't have that confirmation. Um so it's just really important to understand the steps behind it before you just jump on a diagnosis. But the thing is, too, what I always encourage people, if you want to go gluten-free, go gluten-free. Be healthier. That's fine. Just don't marry yourself to that diagnosis quite yet until you have confirmation. Yeah, that was going to be my question. I was going to say, if somebody does feel better gluten-free, do you have any issues with them going gluten-free? I also have to... Like, no. I I have to say, so you just talked about chicken being gluten free, and I've decided, and I decided, I don't, I don't think I have celiacs. I don't think, I think the reason I feel better when I don't eat gluten is because the things that come with gluten have a lot of other crap in it that I shouldn't be eating anyway. So, but now that I'm pregnant, I'm like, you know what? I want a cookie, but I'm not really ready to add gluten back in while I'm pregnant. So I'm going to get a gluten-free cookie. And my daughter knows that I eat gluten-free. So she'll be like, mommy, are these gluten-free? She points to grapes. And I'm like, yes, honey, grapes are gluten-free. Is chicken gluten-free? Yes, honey, chicken is gluten-free. So it's, uh, I, I love that you said that because she's like trying to figure out like what mommy eats and what mommy doesn't eat. And, um, and I think that was a really a nice approach to that that you gave us. Well, you, you sound like me with my nerdy household. Like my kids start asking me sciencey questions. I like jump in full born. I'm like, gluten is actually this molecule. And this is what, and they're like, oh, okay. Can I have a cookie now? It really, really cuts right. off that. Wait, why mommy? Why? Once you get oh, really yes. sciencey, it slows it down. It does. And my husband, his fallback is go ask the doctor. <laughs> I'm going to have to remember these tips for once Remy can ask questions. <laughs> Get really sciencey and obnoxious. <laughs> We're getting a little over time, Andrea. Is there anything else that, um, any other questions you wanted to squeeze in today? Uh, I wanted to ask Erin, if there's just one thing that you just want everybody to know, it doesn't have to do anything with lab testing, just in life, if everybody could know this one thing, what would it be? <sighs> That's a big, big question. I guess I would go back to kind of my life purpose and to know that you are not alone and that if you truly need help, ask for it. Um, I think too many times in life we try to go it alone, especially as working moms. We think we are ingrained with some kind of like superhero gene and that we must take everything on. And I would just remind everybody that you are not alone. Reach out to friends. If you are so embarrassed that you don't want to do that, you know, reach out to Andrea and Elizabeth. You know, they know exactly what you're going through. Find me on Truth Prescriptions and we'll just have a conversation because, you know, misery loves company. And I'll be honest, we just got through this horrific, nasty GI bug at my house and... 
um, I just, I had to like get a hold of some friends and be like, oh my God, I am in diarrhea hell right now. And it made me feel so much better to know that I was not alone and that help was totally available when I asked for it. I love that. I think that's excellent advice. And definitely as women, we need to remember that. So perfect. Thank you so much, Erin. Yeah, this was great. Thank you so much for joining us. And that's a wrap. Thank you so much for joining us today. For more from Erin, you can find her on Facebook at Truth Prescriptions with Dr. Erin Weissman. I will link to it in the show notes, I promise. Also, be sure that you're following Andrea and I on social media for news updates and calls for questions. You can find me, Beth, at Pizza Real Eats and Andrea at Life Liberty Health on Instagram and Facebook. Please subscribe to this podcast so you don't miss an episode and write us a review. Show notes for this episode and all podcast-related information can be found at realmomsreallife.com.